Like a deer in the headlights or gum in your hair, what got you here will not get you there. Join us as business owners get unstuck in real time on the business building struggles we all share. Welcome to the Business Breakthrough Podcast. And here's your host, Esty Rand. Welcome to episode 106 of the Business Breakthrough Podcast, and I have Aaron Walker with us today. Aaron, welcome to the show. Hey, Esty. Thanks for having me on. I am really excited. Guys, Aaron is a super cool character. He has founded more than a dozen companies over the past 41 years and attributes much of his success to having surrounded himself with his mastermind counterparts. He spends a decade meeting weekly with Dave Ramsey, his good friend of 28 years. Yeah, you might recognize that name. Dan Miller, Ken Abraham, and five other amazing entrepreneurs. Aaron is the founder of Iron Sharpens Iron Mastermind that now hosts 19 chapters in eight different countries. Yeah, that's cool. He's the author of View from the Top, a must-read to fully understand how to live a life of success and significance. And he's the founder of The Mastermind Playbook, an incredible resource for starting, running, and scaling masterminds. He lives in Nashville, Tennessee with his wife, Robin, of 40 years, and his two incredible daughters and five beautiful grandchildren. And I love that you included that in the bio, by the way. Well, thank you, Esty. You know why? Because they're the most important part of my life. And so uh, I want to be sure never to forget them. I think that's beautiful. Thank you. So, Aaron, I kind of want to jump in at the beginning, right? You mentioned to me before we began that you started at 18 with no money. You came from you know, kind of a poor, not financially affluent background. And you were able to retire for the first of the three times at age 27. How, you know, the biggest problem most people have earning money is you can never grow beyond yourself. You can never earn more than you think you deserve or are comfortable with. You know, financial thermometers work both ways right? When, you know, we don't feel like we have enough, we go out and we earn more. But when we start feeling like we're getting too much, people kind of shrink back, self-sabotage, earn less. And I think that's why we see so many people who grow up in poverty that never break out of it. It's not because they're not as smart. They totally are. It's not because they don't have the same opportunities. We see tons of people like yourself. How did you break out of the mental cycle, which I think is so much more than the technical financial cycle? Yeah, I appreciate that. You know, Gay Hendricks talks about that a lot in his book, The Big Leap, and we sabotage ourselves when we get to certain levels. And so, you know, for me, uh, coming from a family that didn't have any financial wherewithal at all, I had a mom that was a big encourager. And Esty, she had a little saying, she would say, can't, couldn't do it, and could, did it all. And she would say that all the time when I was a child and it irritated me at the time, but I've adopted that as a life mantra. And so today I believe that I can really do anything, not from an egotistical standpoint or arrogance. It's just that I believe with enough help and aid and trusted advisors uh, and fortitude, a lot of grit, determination, perseverance, we can do anything we want. Now there's physical limitations, obviously, but there's things out there in the world today Matter of fact, there's more opportunities today than I've ever seen. I wish we had had the internet when I first started my business. There's no telling what we could have done. But because I was counting on just folks from a local geographic area right here in Nashville, Tennessee. 
but by my mom disallowing me to say can't, she would say, you're going to try it. You might not be able to do it, but you're going to at least try. And as a result of that, I would try. And you know what happened? I succeeded at the small things, which gave me self-confidence. So I would suggest to parents today to affirm your children and to get peers and colleagues, even around you, that can point out your superpowers and your Achilles heel, but they need to point out your blind spots as well. And one of them is self-belief. And one of those that we can uh, uh, really eliminate out of our life if we have enough trusted advisors around us. So Jim Rohn said, we are the average of the five people we spend the most time with. And there's probably never been a saying more true than that. And I would just encourage you to get the naysayers from around you. Robin and I have been married 40 years now. We're high school sweethearts and we got married two weeks out of high school. And so we've been very careful about the people that are influencing us. And so the naysayers that come around, oh, you can't do it. Well, what they mean is they can't do it and they want to bring down everyone around them. So we get people that edify us and encourage us. And so we want people to speak truth into us. We want non-biased trusted advisors, but we also select people they give you that energy, they give you that encouragement, they give you that wherewithal that you don't often have by yourself. And so I think support, we were designed to be in community. Isolation is the enemy to excellence. And if you really want to take your life to the next level, you've got to surround yourself with a community that can help get you there. So that's what I chose to do at a very early age. I like that. Okay, so now let's get a little more technical, although I happen to love all, there were so many good lines in that. Could, couldn't do it, could, did it all. I like the phrase non-biased trusted advisors. I like isolation as the enemy of excellence. Um, so many good like pieces in there. And if we break it down technical, what, what was that first business? What did you start when you were 18? Well, it was actually earlier than that even. When I was 13 years old, I went to work for a local pawn shop. It was a small company that loaned money. And I loved it. And at 15 years old, I decided that's what I wanted to do for a living because I love to engage people. And so I went to summer school and night school for 18 months and I was able to graduate high school two years early. And so I started working each and every day, understanding people, understanding the business. And then I met two guys that own the 21st largest insurance agency in the country at the time. Now this was in the seventies. You probably weren't even born at that time. I was and, not born at that time. No. And went up to these gentlemen one day and said, hey, why won't you take your money and my experience and open our own pawn shop? And they started laughing. And they said, how old are you? And I said, I'm 18. He said, we've never had anybody 18 years old make a business proposition to us. And I said, well, hey, that's beside the point. Are you interested? And so after a three-month due diligence, they uh, elected to loan me $150,000. And that was a lot of money in the 70s. Yeah, that's a lot of money still today for someone yeah. to hand an 18-year-old. And so I gave up two-thirds of the business to get it. And then Robin and I got married a year later when she got out of high school. And uh, I said, Robin, we can't mess this up. We got to delay gratification. We can't have a bigger place. We bought a 500 square foot condo, paid $19,500 for this condo. My mortgage was $203 a month. Oh my gosh, and those I said, numbers are just like. <laughs> I said, I said we're, we're gonna take all of the money that we make and we're gonna pour it back on this loan. And in 36 months, I paid off $150,000. It was a 10 year loan. Wow. And I said, hey, I did it once, I can do it again. And we did, we repeated that exercise four times. And then we had a chain of these stores and then a company in Fort Worth, Texas, 
uh, came knocking on my door and they said, uh, we want to buy your business. And I said, it's not for sale. So over about a three month period, they made two other attempts to buy it. And I kept telling them it's not for sale. I had built, you know, physical locations that were five and 10,000 square feet, very nice facilities. And I didn't want to sell. And I said, what would I do? And they said, we don't care what you do. We, we want to buy your business. And then I said, uh, well, it's not for sale. And they finally made one last pass and they said, Mr. Walker, hypothetically, if you were going to sell your business, what would you sell it for? And I just threw a number out just to get rid of them. And they said, we'll take it. And I'm like, seriously. And they said, seriously. So three months later, I woke up, I was retired at 27. And uh, actually, they're still 32 years later, they're still my tenant, they still lease the property from me. And so that you purchased the properties. Yeah, I built new buildings. You built new, so you, but you purchased the land or you leased the land? No, I bought the land, built the buildings, and uh, yeah, and then leased it that. back. So you stayed the landlords, even though you sold the business. I sold the business, kept the property, and uh, yeah, that's worked out really well. Okay, so, um, oh, yeah, that's genius. Yeah, so, so the thing is, is what I want to point out to your listeners today is that I get so tired of hearing excuses like, well, I didn't come from a privileged family and I don't have the money. Well, I didn't either, but, but you got to figure it out and you got to get out there every day. And I did that for nine years with these two partners. I gave up two thirds of the business and people are like, I wouldn't do that. Well, I'd rather have a third of something as zero of nothing. And so it gave me a jump start, right? It gave me the ability then to go back and buy the company that I started with when I was 13 years old. And then we built it four times the size it was. We built a new location. And I don't say that to boast. You bought the original pawn shop that you were employed by. Yes. Can yes. You, can I break here? Can you explain the business model of pawn shops? I love understanding different industries. Yeah, it's just a, it's just a loan company. It's, they pledge property, you know, whether it be a diamond ring or a guitar or tools or a gun or whatever it is. But our stores weren't your typical pawn shops. So, I mean, we had, we were doing a hundred loans a day out of these stores and we had, you know, dozen employees at some of these locations. And so they were very upscale and they were large. They were five and 10,000 square feet. So they were very state of the art, very so good stores. That. What, what made your store different? What made it something that people wanted to come to more than let's say any yeah. other pawn shop? How yeah. are you doing a hundred loans a day? Did you keep the property on hold until they pay the loan back? Do they have to bring you yes. in? So you're doing yes. storage. Yeah. Do you then Good sell questions. the property if they default? Like how? Sure. I like details. Well, okay. So you would come in and pawn your diamond ring and we would okay. give you a thousand dollars and you'd pawn your diamond ring. But what, let's say my diamond ring is, if you're giving me a thousand, what's my ring actually worth? Is it worth a thousand or is it worth two more? It's worth okay. more. And our philosophy was to loan you more because the real money made in pawn shops is off the loans because the rate is high because it's a small loan. I mean, and a, pawn shops, if it's not a sale, I'm not selling you my ring. Not selling. We do buy things. You could, you could walk in and say, Hey, I want to sell this and we would buy it. Or you could say, Hey, I want this back. I just need a little money for 30 days. I and so they and would come in. Lateral. So here's my $10,000 ring. You're like, okay, yeah. I'm going to loan you. How much? Five or five or six thousand dollars, but see, okay. that's the difference. You ask the difference in us. Yeah. Most pawn shops would want to get it much cheaper because they would want to make the money on the sale. And I knew the math better, so I know where the money is really made. The money's made in the loans, and it's on the interest payment. So yeah, it's the repetition. Loan. 
get yeah, more 80, interest. 85% of the people that pawn come back and repawn. And so it's, it's a very, it's a way of life. It's what just does that a mean, steady, come back and repawn. They pay back they their come, loan and they come back and do it again. Correct. Interesting. Meaning most people, you don't end up selling their stuff. No. Store it. So what no, do you need square feet for if you're not a, a, a retail space? Excuse me? I mean, why do you need such a big store? It sounds like it's well, because you've got counters. Because you've, no, it's not just that, because we've got a store full of merchandise. I mean, there's, you know, when you're making 100 loans a day, you're going to get 35% of that out for oh, yeah, sale. So you're still going to be selling. So you still stuff. need, yeah, you still need places to put the merchandise. And then to make that many loans, you need a very large warehouse. Why? Well, because you've got tools and guns and stereos and all types of things. We did. You've got a whole lot of stuff yeah. and you yeah. better be very organized. Right. We are very organized. Yeah. We're very organized. Things. You know, I they went on, uh, at the time they went on and made me president of the state association here in Nashville and, uh, you know, for the state of Tennessee. So I was very involved in all of the businesses around and we started buying different locations here in Nashville. So it was a fun business and it was good. And then I took, uh, took a couple of years off after I sold out to the fortune 500. What did you, and, do? Uh, what did you do for those years? You know, I'm going to talk to you about that. So hard every yeah. day. And then it's like, yeah. Yeah. vacuum of yeah. activity. Like I don't need money. Yeah, you're asking very good questions. Uh, so I'd been married at that time, um, about eight or nine years. And so, uh, I'm a big guy. You've never met me in person. I'm six, four, way two thirty-five, So I'm a big guy. And I, uh, was getting in the bed in the middle of the day. After a year and a half, I was so bored. I was out of my mind. I was becoming very depressed. And my wife woke me up one day and she said, you've gained 50 pounds in 18 months. And uh, I said, I have no reason to get up. And she said, well, I didn't sign up for this. And so you've got you've to do something. And I said, what do you want me to do? And she said, you've got to go get another job. You've got to buy a company, start it. I don't care what you do but you got to do something because you're becoming depressed. You gained 50 pounds. So I went back and I started working for the shop that I did for the guy that when I was a kid and just to give him a day off. And then I started loaning him money and uh, we started building the business. And I went to him one day and said, Hey, why don't we go in partners? And so we did. So I bought a property across the street from that and tore the location down and built a brand new state of the art store there and uh, we started growing the business. And then it was during that time that I met Dave Ramsey. Now, this is, you know, almost three decades ago. And Dave was on one radio station in Nashville. And uh, I went to him and said, this is pretty interesting. And he said, why don't you sponsor my show? And I said, no, I never even heard of you. I don't even know who you are. You're on one radio station here in Nashville. And <laughs> he gave me a week free advertising if I would try him. So three days in, SD, people were pouring into our location, buying our products. And I called him and I said, I don't know what Kool-Aid you're serving, but uh, these people are drinking it and I'm interested. He said, well, you'll have to sign an annual contract and you'll have to advertise every day. I said, that's going to be a lot of money. He said, uh, it's providing for you, isn't it? And I said, yeah, it's doing good. He said, let's do it. Well, I spent 21 consecutive years sponsoring his show and it, changed the trajectory of our business. It was unbelievable what it did for our company. Well, a number of years later, 
uh, I was headed to the office. I go to our church. I'm Christian by faith. And so I go to our church on Wednesday mornings and pray for our families and pray for the church and with our pastors, about five of us. And I was headed to the office and um, there was a guy crossing the street on this four lane highway and he paused in the median to wait for me to go by to catch this bus. And I got right to him and uh, I don't mean to be a downer, but uh, he didn't look my way and walked out in front of me to catch the bus and I ran over him. And um, three days later, they called me from the Vanderbilt trauma unit and they said, uh, Mr. Walker, I'm sorry he didn't make it. And his name was Enrico. He was 77 years old. He was from the Philippines originally. Wasn't my fault, but it really wrecked me. I mean, it destroyed me. And so I took a couple of weeks off and thought I was okay. And I went back to work and I was 40 years old at the time. This was in 2001. And uh, I thought I was okay, but the tension mounted and I just couldn't handle the pressure. So I went to my partner and uh, reached a, an agreement and I sold the business. And so I took five years off. I didn't do anything for five years. I saw counselors and Robin and I built a new house here in Nashville and we traveled abroad pretty what extensively. What did you do all day? Like five years off. Yeah. What did you do all day? Well, you know, I, I played, I played golf and I fished, but you can't do that with so much right. because you, you, you lose your sense of purpose. You lose your motivation. And uh, my wife came to me again at five years later and she said, you're getting fat and lazy again. <laughs> and, uh, it's time to go back in business. And we did. So we started a construction company and, uh, actually we didn't start it. I bought into it because the guy that had built my new house during that five year period was a real craftsman. And so we took that to number one, three consecutive years over the next five or six years. And then I turned 50 and, uh, I retired and then Dave Ramsey and Dan Miller said, what are you going to do now? And I said, I'm going to go to the Caribbean and buy one of those little tiki huts and sit on the front porch and rock myself into an oblivion. And Dan Miller said, that really ticks me off that you would say that. And I said, why? He said, because you're saying, well, I got enough for me. Good luck to the rest of you. And he said, you need to coach. So I prayed about it and thought about it and went to Entree Leadership Mastery and went to innovate out at the sanctuary with Dave Ramsey and taught me to coach. And I hired a professional coach from Baylor University. He was head of psychology out there for about 25 years. And he's a very, very smart um, psychology major. And he's a great coach. And I hired him and trained me. So I started coaching and uh, started doing a few podcast interviews and our business just blew up. And uh, that's when we started the mastermind and now we're filling the masterminds. And so, yeah. Uh, okay. it's, so it's, explain the masterminds to me because I, we did a show uh, probably about two and a half months ago now right? Um, with someone else who does masterminds, sure. um, but completely different profile, right? She's, yeah. she's younger than your daughters, you yeah. know, sure. um, and her journey to masterminds completely different. And yeah. I find that everyone I speak to who's in the mastermind world has a kind of different nuance, how they sure. look at it. Yeah, so I'd love sure. to understand why masterminds, what a mastermind okay. means to you. What is that? Well, let me take you back just a little bit to give you context so you'll understand the reason that I approach it the way we do today. When Dave Ramsey invited me to join his mastermind group that he was just starting decades ago, I didn't want to go. And the reason I didn't want to go is I knew he was hardcore and he was going to push, and I didn't really want to do that. He also mentioned that you have to be authentic and transparent and vulnerable, and I didn't want to do that either because I didn't want them to know at the time that there was challenges in my life, 
I wanted everybody to think I had it all together. I mean, after all, I'm the golden child, right? I go from broke to retiring at 27. I didn't want anybody to know that there were flaws. I didn't want them to know I had chink in my armor. And so I went reluctantly and I was very hesitant at first. But when I started hearing people like Ken Abraham, you may or may not have heard of him. He's written over a hundred books. He was in the group. Uh, telling he had problems and challenges with his family and with his business. And then Jeff Mosley, he owned the INO records here in Nashville, very successful, had problems in his business. And Dan Miller, just starting 48 days to the work you love. And D Dave Ramsey now was, you know, getting on all these shows and he's on 700 radio stations today and seeing that he had troubles with Sharon and his family. And, and I was like, man, they don't have it all together either. And so I started sharing. And the reason I didn't want to go is because my focus up until, you know, 2001 had been making money, right? I mean, I came home with a pocket full of money to a house full of strangers. And I had two beautiful that daughters. That's a crazy line. Yeah. There are so many people who live that life. Well, that's so why well I started. Said. Yeah. That's why we started the mastermind that we have now because I can teach you how to make money. It's not that hard to make money, but if you offer your family on the altar of sacrifice for the dollar, you're going to come home rich one day and you're going to have no relationships. And that about happened to me. And I said, never again, I'm going to surround myself with trusted advisors, accountability groups, people that really are going to hold me accountable and say, Hey, if you're working 18 hours a day, your family's going to suffer. And what I discovered is that my family has a memory, but the business doesn't. And I don't want to have regrets one day with my children and saying dad was rich, but, uh, we didn't have a relationship. I don't know my dad. So I've never missed a practice, a basketball game, a cheerleading. I've never missed an event of my daughters ever or my grandchildren. And I refuse to do it. I could make more money, but you only get one go through with the relationships, right? Businesses come and go. I'm going to have failures. I'm going to have successes. I'm going to make money. I'm going to lose money, but I only got one chance with those kids. I only got one chance with my wife and I just don't want to mess that up. And so I realized it. I realized that I almost lost my family because it was just another business, another hundred thousand dollars, another trip, another vacation home. And I was like, it's not worth it because money doesn't scratch the itch. Like you think it's going to, you get that and you like it for a little while. And, you know, quite honestly, historically, the new leather smell wears off before the payments. And when that happens, uh, you've got now this debt and with something that's really not scratching the itch like you thought. Now, don't hear me wrong, Esty. I'm not saying that having things is not nice, right? I hate it when people with money go, money's not important. I want to go, you liar. Let's take it away from you. Let's see how important it is. Very important. But what I don't want your audience to do is to make it their God, make it their only reason that they're doing what they're doing. And what I discovered in that automobile accident was if it had been me that was killed, what would my legacy had been? And here's what it would have been. Poor kid from Nashville, Tennessee makes enough money to retire at age 27 and nobody cares. And I thought, 
that's not what I want my legacy to be. I want my legacy to be, hey, Estes' life is better as a result of having known me. Our interaction, my ability to encourage her and lift her up and send her resources and send her connections and relationships and encourage her, her life was better as a result of interacting with me. That's what I wanted my legacy to be. And I said, hey, God, if you'll give me one more chance, I'll look outward and I'll be the giver and not the taker. And so we've done that. And my life now is unbelievable. We've had great success. We make more money now than we've ever made. But the significance of my life today is 100x what it was in 2001. Because the relationships really are all that matters. Truly all that matters. My dad, when he passed away, probably never made over $15,000 a year in his life. I've made that in a day, literally. And so people lined up for an hour and a half. The line went around the building when my dad passed away in 2006. We stood there for six and a half hours greeting people, standing room only at his funeral. And the reason it was is because people said, do you know what your dad did for me? Do you know how your dad helped me? Do you know how your dad encouraged me? Grown men, 75 years old, crying at my dad's casket, saying your dad made an impact in my life. Not one person said your dad had a nice boat, a nice house, a nice car. It was all about the relationship. Yet I find it ironic that we spend 95% of our time chasing money and we forget the relationships. And I just want to encourage your listeners today to really think through what it is that you're trying to accomplish. Go make money. I love to make money. I love having nice cars, nice house, vacation. I love that stuff. But money is a tool so I can live my life. I don't live so I can make money. I make money so I can live my life. And so I just want to encourage your listeners today to really think through why they're trying to make money. I love that. I love that. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening to part one of this episode. Stay tuned for part two going live Thursday. And of course, subscribe. You do not want to miss this. You've been listening to the Business Breakthrough Podcast with SD Rand. If you're looking for a breakthrough in your business, reach out at sdrand.com slash breakthrough to be a guest on the show. Everyone's got a business struggle. What's yours?